Lacrosse All-Stars presents In Your Face LaxCast. Unfiltered opinions on the most controversial topics in the game of lacrosse. I'm Ryan Danahy, former Division I college and pro player and Division I college coach, currently living and coaching in the city of Philadelphia. I'm joined with my co-host, Andy Towers, the legend, former Division I college head coach, MLL All-Star, three-time All-American, and arguably the best to ever play the midfield position. Each show, we dive into the world of lacrosse from high school, college, to pro, as well as bring on special guests. You can subscribe to us via iTunes and check us out on Twitter at InYourFaceLax for more information. Enjoy the show. AT, we have to thank our listeners. This is our 10th week of podcasts, and it's been incredible to see momentum continue to build since our first one. We're getting over 1,100 listens a week, which is awesome. Uh, Connor tells us that we have some international listeners to the last cast, so we want to give them a shout-out. Uh, if you're listening to us overseas, tweet at us at InYourFaceLax, and we'll get you guys a shout-out in the future on the podcast. So really appreciate everyone listening. Thank you so much. Uh, the next order of business, we have to say congratulations to Joe Keegan, MLL journalist at 10-Man Ride and also contributor to Lacrosse Magazine and College Cross, for edging out our guy, Jim Hensel, in OT for the first ever In Your Face Pick'em Challenge. The rules were fairly simple. Pick the spread and the over-under on each of the top 20 games this past weekend using Lax Vegas Lions Twitter account. Uh, it was a tie game going into Sunday, and it went all the way to OT. So did our contest. Um, and it looks like Joe Keegs owes John Crowley of Hopkins a nice write-up when he goes pro, that's for sure. Uh, so he gets the sweatshirt, uh, and he gets the, the belt, the title. Nice uh, job. Turn it into a half shirt. That'd be sick. Bring back <laughs> the half, half shirt, Joe Keegs. We could love that. We'll cut the sleeves off. We'll cut a midsection off. Maybe pierce up the belly button. Just go confident <laughs> into the summer. Awesome to see. <laughs> to the weekend. Uh, personally, I think these 7 p.m. Sunday night games are winning the lacrosse season, and it's only been twice. It's not just the fact that they're both gone to OT. It's more the fact that they are on primetime television when everyone can more or less watch them. Uh, why aren't there more 7 p.m. Saturday night games? Uh, you you got to figure crappy college football teams put their games on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights just so they don't compete with the Power 5 conferences uh, TV schedule on the weekends because they just won't get anyone to watch them and they won't get anyone to, you know, to watch their games at all. So they do it for the exposure. They do it for recruiting. I mean, there's just so many different reasons that they're doing it. Why in the world isn't the ACC looking at the Big Ten and saying to themselves, wow, that's really smart. Let's change it up. Let's compete with them and do every Friday night. Right. Let's come year. to our school and play, play on Tuesday nights. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk about catchy. That is I mean, <laughs> But it's like, you know, I mean, if you're going to have a Tuesday game, might as well have it at 7 p.m. It's just like it's beyond, you know, the scope of grow the game. And I don't mean any disrespect to anyone who says, hey, listen, it doesn't matter about growing the game. It's a matter of how much exposure can you get to the lacrosse world, which includes the kids that you're going to recruit, recruit in the future. I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, every single kid in the country is watching the 7 p.m. Big Ten game. And they're saying to themselves, I'm receiving phone calls. I'm receiving emails from Maryland. I'm receiving them from Penn State. I'm receiving them from Hopkins. And that's a school I want to go to, despite whatever the record is. It doesn't matter. They get to watch these guys consistently over and over every weekend when they don't have conflicts themselves in their respective 
uh, schedules in their spring season. So I, I just don't see why other conferences aren't looking at that and saying, well, you know what? Maybe the Patriot League should own every th- Thursday night game. You know, and on Thursday night, Smart. 7 p.m., uh, that's the Patriot League night. And now all of a sudden, you're just going to expose yourself more to the kids that are actually going to watch it. Not the kids, not the people in South Dakota that we're all hoping are going to watch lacrosse games sometime soon. has nothing to do with them. has to do with the fact that everyone wanna watch, wants to watch these games. And if they're going to be big-time games like the Army-Navy game uh, was this past weekend, why not have it on a Thursday night? And then you have a Thursday-to-Thursday schedule. I mean, that's, that's how it should go for the Patriot League. And no one will complain about it because it's, it's the best thing for the league. Well, it is. It's, and that, it's, it's certainly the best thing for the television viewing audience. Not positive. It's the best thing for their respective gate, right? I mean, if some of these athletic departments are, <clears throat> depending upon the dollars generated at the gate, if they are, that's too bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, but, but that would be the only reason why I could see them preferring a game at 1 o'clock on a Saturday, even though there's, you know, 25 other games during that time, than a Sunday night game, which is we know you got to get on the 545 out of Springdale tomorrow morning but just once you just <laughs> blow through the woods an hour and a half to come watch army navy and we'll get you back to bed by eleven thirty. that might <laughs> that might be a uh <laughs> it might be a stretch but you think about it it's not necessarily the kids and the families obviously if you're very local i mean it makes sense but think about the students that would come in and blow through on a 7 p.m thursday night game you're right i mean that's that's huge you could easily pack another 750 kids of students to just celebrate the fact that hey it's a patriot night thursday night lacrosse um, you know, I, I guess I'm looking at more from a standpoint of, you know, exposure, lots of people being there. Sure, the 7 p.m. games are tough. I, I, excuse me, on Sundays are tough. But I don't necessarily think they're that tough on a Thursday night, a Friday night, or certainly even a Saturday night. ACC could easily make it Saturday night, game of the week, 7 p.m. Everyone's going to watch it. You're right. And so, uh, but let's get into the games, A.T. Brown versus Yale. Dill Malloy, 5-1. Kyler with three and one. I'm not even going to say his last name because I heard it pronounced six different ways on the TV. Uh, Will Garal, 20 of 29 of the faceoff X, just gets it done for the Bears. AT, you were at the game. Uh, so first off, how was the atmosphere there? Because I know you were celebrating your 91 team uh, there. And two, uh, what were your thoughts after the game? But do you even remember the game? And I can only assume you relived the game as you did as an undergrad for those two hours. <laughs> uh, you know what? I was at the game, and I've never seen a better atmosphere for the college lacrosse game. It was just – there were people hanging over the fences. We were on the far sideline, you know, not on the bench side, on the other sideline. And, you know, there were stands there. You literally could not – move. I mean, it That's felt awesome. like you were trying to get to your seat to Grateful Dead concert in 1991. <laughs> it just was, it was incredible. You know, while you didn't have the spinners, you did have the people that were out enjoying perfect weather, spring break weekend right. at Brown. The game couldn't have been any better. I mean, right. you're looking at two of the very best teams and two of the best coach teams out there. Uh, you know, in watching that game, Yale, they, they're, they are terrifying to play as a Brown fan, you know, and as a, as a team that roots, you know, uh, against Yale. Let's face it, I hate Yale, but I, I, you <laughs> know, that team is so well coached. They do not let up any soft goals on the defensive end. Uh, they do not take bad shots. I think I probably saw one or two bad shots. And, uh, you know, for, for a team to be that disciplined and that athletic, they've got, you know, two of the very best defensemen out there. The matchup that we had wanted to see 
uh, you know, between Dylan Malloy and uh, Michael Quinn, I'm sorry. You know, we had wanted to see that matchup. They actually had Chris Keating was covering Dylan Malloy all game long, did a great job in the first half, and then Dylan Malloy scored an unbelievable goal, right? In the, literally like in, with like .5 seconds left at the end of the, at the, end of the uh, yeah, first half. It was an incredible goal. And then came back and ended up, you know, with five total goals, including the game-tying and the game-winning goal. But these are two incredibly well-coached teams. Uh, and, and Brown looked tight in the first half. They really did. Yeah. And then they came back. And part of the reason in the first half they were tight is, you know, their faceoffs were probably 50-50, it seemed like, in the, in the first half. But Will Garal comes back in the second half, you know, goes 11 for 13. He was, you know, 2-2 two and two off the break, which is right. absurd, and finishes 20 for 29. And really was the difference, you know, down the stretch when Brown outscored Yale 8-2 to two and turned a 10-6 deficit into a 14 to 12 victory, but Yale would not go away. They must have hit three pipes, it seemed like, in the fourth quarter, maybe four or five for the entire game. You know, both goalies were, were I think, probably average, considering who they are. You know, Kelly with 11 saves and 48% save percentage, sort of below his season average, uh, with Yale scoring in the first four shots. And then Hufford, you know, obviously was not as good with just seven, seven saves and scoring just 33% of the shots that he faced. But I couldn't, I couldn't get over how hard these teams played you know you can only hope as a fan that you're going to see them play again for the ivy league championship which thank god is going to be at brown and then i'm not so sure that we don't see these teams play for a third time you can only hope that that is on memorial day for the national championship that would be incredible and in years past people may laugh at that statement but anybody that saw those two teams play this weekend uh, you know, realizes that that is not an overstatement in any sense of the word. I mean, these are these are these are two. I think two of the two of the four best teams with Denver and Notre Dame being the other two. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see those four teams in the Final Four. So I, I was blown away by the quality of this game and the quality of the atmosphere. I wouldn't either. Uh, Browns got Providence and Cornell. Then they shimmy in the Dartmouth game during the halftime of the Cornell game. <laughs> And then Yale oh. has Yale does not. I mean, it doesn't get any easier for Yale. Uh, they've got Albany, then they've got Harvard, and regardless of how good or not good you think Harvard has been down the stretch, that game's going to be a tough one for Yale. Absolutely, um, absolutely. It's just a big rivalry game. It happens every single year uh, at the end of the season. Now uh, they changed it up about five or six years ago, which has been good. But uh, it's not going to get easier for either one. Uh, certainly, Brown should roll through Providence and Cornell. I, I don't. Th- I don't know. I don't know about rule. I, I think that they beat Providence, but Providence is, is is the best coached they've ever been, and they're still, uh, you know, a team that if you look past them, they could beat you. Um, yep. They could. I don't think it's going to happen, but they could. And certainly, you know, Bryant was able to do it on a Tuesday night, and coming after a, a huge win. To play just two days later, you know, it's a classic letdown type game. Now, I don't think Lars, I know Lars and his staff won't allow these guys to let down. But then you go to Ithaca, which we know getting off that bus is a nightmare. And Ithaca, you know, look at the week that they had last week with beating Syracuse, you know, and then coming back and beating Lehigh. And then you've got Dominic Massimilian and Grant Mahler, who literally won 25 out of 27 faceoffs. Now, they don't have the wings that Brown has. No one does. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen at the X, but I can tell you that, you know, the Cornell guys aren't going to win 25-27 against Brown. I guarantee you that. With that said, if they are able to win 
you know, a majority of the face-offs, and that's a big if, because I don't think they're going to. But if they do, you know, that that can be something that can make Cornell a scary, scary game because it is in Ithaca, and Brown goes up there, you know, with the pressure of having to win that game. And, you know, Cornell thrives in those environments. Cornell, again, that team plays hard as hell. I, I realize they haven't had the year that they have typically had in the last, you know, decade or so. But I would, I would absolutely not look a play ahead against that team. But, and then certainly I feel like Dartmouth-Brown is going to be in a good position there playing them at home. So. Uh, I, I don't disagree with you there, but I do think that Brown, historically, even when Cornell was the team of the decade in the Ivy League, yep. and they, and they, they found double, a way to they do always, it. They always played Cornell really, really well, and they yep. beat them quite a few times. I remember sharing Princeton and Cornell sharing Ivy League championships over the last few years because of Brown would beat them. Right, right. Um, you got to credit Lars. I mean, Lars gets these guys ready to, ready to go, and, and against Cornell, you have got to match that team's intensity from the opening whistle to the very last because that's what they hang their hat on and if you know you don't show up to play or you take a quarter and a half off you can be down real fast and you can't rebound you know very easily against teams that come out with you know more intensity than you so i I hope you're right i hope that i hope brown rolls them but i i have uh, a ton of respect for that program just knowing the people knowing what the culture is like up there hopkins penn state Hopkins more or less has eliminated Grant Ament for this one, but Penn State's Nick Aponte with four goals just wasn't enough as Hopkins' John Crowley notched his hat trick in OT. This was obviously in another incredible 7 p.m. game uh, for the Big Ten, for the Big Ten Network, for lacrosse in general. Mm -hmm. What were your thoughts on this one? Well, you know, this game did not disappoint. You've got two future Hall of Fame coaches. Uh, I think Petro's actually already in, but Tambo certainly is a Hall of Fame coach, at least in the, you know, in my eyes, uh, and I think in most people's. So you got you got two of the very best coaches out there. You know, one is a defensive guy, one more is an offensive guy, and you had you know a score, a game that sort of indicated you know how even these teams actually were. Schreiner, twelve saves, fifty percent save percentage. Turnbull, nine saves, forty-five percent. So that was dead even. Penn State had a slight advantage at the X, winning fifteen out of twenty-six, but still they got out GB'd by Hopkins, which is a little shocking given that they did have, you know, an advantage at the face-off X. But you, like you said, John Crowley's stepping up at crunch time to get it done. He's just gotten better and better and better, um, you know, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how the Big Ten plays out. I think we feel confidently that we know who the teams are going to be in the Big Ten tournament in Maryland, Rutgers, Johns Hopkins, and Penn State. But what's going to happen over the next few weeks? I can see Penn State being in a dogfight at Rutgers. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, this loss to Hopkins may be what puts them over the top against Rutgers, knowing that Rutgers beat Hopkins and embarrassed them, you know, just two weeks ago. And then I think that Penn State's going to pound Michigan. And then Hopkins goes to Michigan. And I think they're going to pound Michigan. Uh, and then Hopkins plays Maryland. And I, I'm saying right now, I think Hopkins finds a way to get that win. It just seems like whenever Maryland's expected to win, that's when Hopkins beats them. And I also think the reverse is true. Uh, and for them, Maryland to be playing at Johns Hopkins last game of the year is, uh, you know, I just I just feel like that sets up well for Hopkins. So it's going to be interesting to see what the actual seating is for the Big Ten tournament. But again, you've got uh, two really, really well-coached teams, um, you know, and, and play the game sort of exactly how you'd expect it to go. Hopkins, I don't think 
it's in their best interest, to be perfectly honest with you, to play Maryland and beat them in the regular season. Because I think their best chance to make the most damage is to beat them when it's in the tournament so they can actually get the AQ. Because I don't disagree a, with that. A lot of, a lot of this at-large stuff that's coming down, I mean, you could beat Johns Hopkins right now and not win the Big Ten championship, uh, lose in the first round of it, and may not get into the national, champi- uh, national right. tournament. So, yes, despite I, – I do believe what you're saying, but I don't think it happens in the regular season. I actually think it happens in the tournament, which benefits them even more. Um, but I like know. that. I think you're. I think you're dead on with that, Artie. So here we go, Delaware, Towson. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we we, <laughs> you know, there's always one game every week uh, that sh- that shocks up, makes you turn your head a little bit. You know, we've dogged on Delaware basically by never talking about them during this season. Uh, however, they're two and one in the league with Fairfield and Drexel next. Delaware, are they a powerhouse right now in the CAA? Like, what's God. going on? Or, you know, do we brush this loss aside like we did with Bryant beating Harvard and then Brown this season? Because I personally don't even remember that happening. Uh, maybe we'll forget about <laughs> maybe we'll forget about Delaware beating Towson this week. But I'm not so sure. Paul Major with four goals for the Hens led the way. Uh, what were your thoughts generally about this one, AK? Well, I was blown away by this outcome, and this outcome does not help Johns Hopkins, uh, you know, because one of their, probably their greatest quality win was, well, it's probably Navy now, but Towson coming to this game at number six for them to lose this game is not good for Johns Hopkins. Uh, I'd never in a million years would have thought that this was going to happen and that Towson would actually let Delaware get to 10 goals. I'm blown away by this. Right. You know, both obviously the Delaware goalie played a little bit better, 11 saves, 61% save percentage versus 11 saves and 52% for Tyler White. Um, but, uh, again, I just I can't believe – Towson had to be looking past this game. Had to have just to, I mean, Delaware got off to a horrible start to the season. They've been one of the most disappointing teams of the whole year. And, you know, Towson had actually been surprisingly one of the best teams. I was looking at Towson, and I, and I still, you know, probably am, as a team that is a threat to be playing, you know, on Saturday of Memorial Day. They, they, they were playing, you know, a style that you feel like – could lead them to the final four, you know, but, but I'll tell you, the stat that jumped out at me more so than anything else is the fact that Towson outshoots Delaware. They take 38 shots, but only 18 of them were on goal. You know, it's just, again, were they trying to keep the timer call off? I mean, probably some, I mean, some do that, but I mean, that's an awful lot of shots, more than half your shots. Not on goal. That's just that's just shocking. And this loss now really puts Towson in trouble if they don't get the AQ that goes right. along with you know winning the league tournament. Right. And they've got Fairfield at home, and Fairfield currently is three and zero in the league and in the driver's seat. And then they go to Long Island to play at Hofstra, who you know is going to be ready for that game. Right. You know, so they've got a really really tough. Final two games, Towson does. And Delaware, you know, they play at Drexel, who they should beat based on each team's, you know, last three weeks. You would say that, you know, it appears like Delaware is going to be ready to play. But, you know, Brian Volker can get his team ready to play as well as anybody. And it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Drexel not only win that game, but pound Delaware. Right. Right? I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. And then Delaware has to play Fairfield at home. So, you know, this this conference – you know, this is a this is a really really tight conference. Um, 
Which you is know, weird I just, because I'm, you'd I'm impressed by Delaware. Roles. I'm impressed that Delaware kept everything together mentally and was able to put together, you know, a game against what seemed to be a sleeping Towson team. I, I don't disagree with you at all. Um, certainly, it's interesting because, you know, you would have thought Towson would have rolled through their league, got the AQ. Um, you know, now they're staring at a situation where they're, they are in trouble. Uh, but, you know, you mention it all the time. You mentioned it certainly with Bryant Brown. Um, you know, this loss could be the spark that Towson needed uh, going into the rest of the year and certainly the national tournament where they have the loss that, you know, you scratch your head and you're like, well, at least my team and my kids, like, actually, you know, learn from this. This is something they needed because you don't want it to happen later. So when they right. get in tough scenarios later on this season, which is going to happen, the team play their best across late in the season, you know, they're going to get in tight, you know, pressure, high-pressure scenarios. They'll find a way to turn it around in-game because uh, they couldn't do it here at all. No. But that, that, I'll tell you, that uh, March 2nd win – at Loyola is really looking good for Towson. I mean that that is they they need Loyola to win the Patriot League, which they could. They could absolutely. Um, that w- that's that's their win. I mean that's really their win. Well, let's go to the Patriot League right now. Navy versus Army. This one was a grinder, which of course you would look at Navy Army. Why wouldn't it be? Uh, it was back and forth. Navy scores goal, uh, three goals. Then Army scores four. Then they keep trading runs and trading goals. Uh, but in the end, Navy midshipmen get the huge win in overtime with a fake flip goal to end it. Huge win for Navy, period. Um, that they will probably get the number one. Or did they confirm number one seed? I, I, I'm pretty sure they are the number one seed. I'm sure they have to finish out, though. Uh, but, uh, you know, for me, I look at this one as a great win. But I don't know if I'm looking forward to seeing them. You know, if I'm Navy, I'm not so sure I want to see them again in the Patriot League Championship game uh, because one of the hardest to, uh, things to do in all of sports is beat a team twice in the same season, uh, especially when the first game was as close as it was. Um, so, you know, in terms of the Navy-Army game, what an incredible win for a- a Navy. Uh, but I'm sure Army's looking at this being like, let's get them back in the tournament when it counts the most. Uh, what were your thoughts here, AP? Yeah, I just, you know, I had picked Navy in this game. And they didn't and cover. No, I know, but I, I just felt like I just felt like I feel like this is Navy's year, you know. And and Ricky Soul's just done an awesome job, and it's great to see. I'm a big fan of Rick's, uh, and I'm also a fan of Joe Alberici's. But I just I feel like both teams have been good, but but Navy I feel like is 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 a scary scary team to play just because of. Uh, you know, they got an awesome poll. Their goalie showed up. John Connors played great this game. 14 saves versus just nine for A.J. Barreto. And both goalies have had great seasons. You know, I, I think both goalies are All-Americans. They really do. Uh, but John Connors got, got the better of the performance between, you know, those two guys on this day. Um, you know, surprised to sort of only see four people in the Navy scoring column with Pat Keenan 3-2, and two, Casey Reese 3-0, and oh, Kevin Wendell 3-0, and oh, Jack Ray 2-0. Oh. You know, that 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 may be something that uh, other teams may be able to expose down the line, but you marry up great face-off play, which Navy's gotten. Both teams have gotten it, but but Navy's gotten that, uh, you know, with, again, one of the best long sticks in the country, one of the best overall defensemen. I just I think that Navy is a scary team. A lot of teams are, are, are going to be praying that they don't end up seeing that team in the quarterfinals because it's a team that could, they could go on a run, they can win, because they're not backing down from anyone um, but they got to get through the Patriot League tournament first, and that's going to be a bear. Yep. Uh, when we come back, we're going to do Coach of the Week, Player of the Week, which we haven't done in a long time. I can't believe no one called us out for not doing that. 
Uh, we're also going to do some conference overviews, and we also have asked how. We're back, Coach of the Week, Player of the Weeks. From uh, let's you know what? Let's just go to you, At. We're gonna do your Coach of the Week. Who is it? I'm going down to Delaware to Bob Schillinglaw. As much as I wanted to take my boy Lt with an unbelievable win over Yale, uh, you know I have to say that that didn't shock me as much as Delaware's ability to beat number six Towson for Bob Schillinglaw's number 327th win of his career, which is about 325 more than I had at Dartmouth. Um, you know, and what a win for them, too. And, and quietly now, they're 2-1 in the CAA after an atrocious start to the season, and they are, you know, very, very much alive. If they're hitting their peak as a group right now, who knows what the injury situation is like there, you know, but if they're getting some people back and, and, and they are playing their best lacrosse down the second half of April – you know, in that league, in particular, the CAA, after beating by far what we would consider the best team in that league, they're looking like a team that's a very <laughs> they could be, they could they could they could get the AK. I mean, they could they could win that league. So what a uh, what a great win! Bob Schilling was my coach of the week. My coach of the week, Drew Kelleher. While the man had yes, Kelleher, <laughs> right off right from Team Six at the East Coast Lacrosse Camp, right to Manhattan <laughs> for Coach of the Week on IYT. Team, IYT, team whatever. Six. Team six <laughs> at ECLC. I love it. Well, Manhattan, Great job, Kelleher. Well, Manhattan has a kid. lot of work to do. Drew, Drew got his first MAC league win against Marist this Saturday. It's, it's a huge win. It's also Manhattan's first league win since 2014. So there's nothing right. but upside for Manhattan, but it's certainly good to see Drew Kelleher leading his team in the right direction. AT, yep. who is your player of the week? Uh, for me, this was an easy one. Being there in person, watching him play, uh, it's got to be Will Garall, the Brown face-off midfielder, 20 for 29 at the X, 2-2 two and two off the draw and a two-goal victory over a team they hadn't beaten since 2009 in Yale. Uh, he was a difference, and he was a difference in the second half. They went from, you know, down three goals to winning by two. Um, he, was, he was fantastic. He was my player of the week. Uh, the Tonka truck on the same team was my yes. player of the week. Dylan Malloy. Five goals, one assist versus the undefeated Yale Bulldogs. Probably cements him as the absolute league candidate for the Tawarton Trophy. I'm pretty sure. He's got to be. I, I, He's got to yeah, be. There's no one really close to him right now in the race. <laughs> I, I, would you agree with that? You know, totally. I mean, look, he, he's on pace. I was reading today. He's on pace to break Lyle Thompson's single-season scoring really? record. Are you kidding me? Is yeah. he really? He's averaging 6.8 points a game. Oh, my God. And, and, and the other side of that is the fine print to that is, you know, out of their 10 or 11 games that they've played, right. he's, he's sat out the second half yeah. of most of them. Not not some of them, most of them. Right. You know, he literally, I, I, watching him play in person is really impressive because we all know he's, he's, he's the Tonka truck and he's huge. But he is really quick and big. I mean, I'm sorry, he's quick and fast for, for his size. It's yeah. really deceptive, yeah. and he's just fearless. I mean, he, he just is never afraid to not only take an extra step, to take an extra three steps, you know, right. to get to where he has to be to make sure he gets the result that he wants. But this guy has got to be the Tawarton 
uh, award winner. He's got to be. Yeah, he does. And, you know, I, at least through this point to this season, correct. there's no slowing him down. And, it, and he plays a style that, again, you know, these guys that are assigned to cover him, you know, they got to be feeling a little differently. Uh, you know, the next day no because no this guy is just a killer. Well, like Peter Baum when uh, he won it with, with Colgate, you have to figure yeah. Brown has to at least to make the quarterfinals in order to yeah, really, really guarantee it. I think, obviously, we all think that they can go a lot farther than that, and I, I think that's true. But you also look at Lyle Thompson, too, and his performance when he did it. I don't think he played in a lot of the end of games. No, I agree. But I, agree. But I also it's think, the same sort of thing. I also think he didn't have nearly as high of stats to the teams that you thought he would. I remember him playing UMass Lowell, I think it was last year, or whatever, a few years ago, whatever it was. Um, right, and he's 2-2 two and two right. instead of going 7-4 and four against right. Harvard in like a three-goal win or something exactly. like that. Exactly. I agree, I agree. So, you know, he, Lyle Thompson, and it's really the points that you score in the big games that really are all that and matter. And Dylan's doing that, Let's too. face that. And Dylan's doing he that. Is, listen, he does it every yeah. game. You know, he does it every game. And uh, I said it before, I don't know anyone that – I've never heard of anyone leading the country in goal scoring one year and then to come back and lead it in, you know, assist the next year. And, you know, the hope is that they continue to do what they've done to this point, and I believe that they will, That which will surpass one of the very, very best regular season Brown teams of all time, and that was our 1991 team who went 13-0 only to lose immediately to Maryland in the playoffs, <laughs> which made us, again, a bunch of super nice kids. <laughs> Sucked. But I see this Brown time. This this Brown team is better than our team was. They've got they're more complete. Their goalie is the best in the country. Their faceoff guy is phenomenal. Their faceoff group is the best. They got the best overall player in Dylan Malloy. They play a style that you just can't emulate in practice. You know, how do you prepare for this team? And and then you've got you know a coaching staff that just coaches with balls. You know, they just they just go for it and it's it really is fun to watch and i can only imagine that this is just the start to what they're going to be doing because as the best high school recruits in the country look at the style that brown plays versus the style that everybody else plays and it's where do i sign up <laughs> you know that's what i would be thinking Absolutely. if i if i was a, a stud offensive player or even a long pole for that matter if they're going to let the long pole stay on and play offense you know it's it's it really is fun to watch and uh you know i think it's i think we're just seeing the beginning of of brown you know dominating this this college across landscape for a while so see what leave happens. it to at to get a brown recap somewhere along that uh, sorry dude, i had to get in there <laughs> but let's move on to the conference overviews the ncaa tournament is comprised of 10 automatic qualifiers and eight at larges this year that changes next year when the acc no longer has an aq and i believe there's just some discussion that there's no longer an a playing game as well so uh, regardless, let's go through each one of the conferences and let's look up exactly what we're thinking in terms of the national tournament, conference tournament, then national tournament makeup. So, mm -hmm. AT, who is your number one conference in the country right now um, and who is going to be in their league tournament? Well, this, uh, this is, this, this is going to be sponsored by Quint since he's <laughs> such a huge Ivy fan. But uh, I am going to say that the uh, Ivy League is the best team in the country. You've got two teams in the top four in Brown and Yale, um, you know, and they're clearly already in the Ivy League tournament. And then you've got Penn that's in the Ivy League tournament. And then I think if I had to, if I had to bet on it, the next team that I would say would probably be Dartmouth? Harvard. Oh no, no, they're they're they just missed. Um, but you've got you know you have Princeton that could do yeah, it. Could. You know they go 
and play Harvard and Cornell, I believe, are their last two games. And, you know, they they could do it. I mean, they could do it. I don't. I just don't think they're going to beat Harvard. I think that, you know, Harvard, while they've had some devastating injuries, uh, I just think they've got too much talent. And, you know, they – I just see them being – being the fourth team in this uh, in this in this tournament, uh, Cornell could do it, but I just think Cornell's going to they're going to stumble against Brown. I hope and I believe that they will, and that'll be the end of them. And if Princeton loses to Harvard, that's the end of them, and that puts Harvard in. So it's Brown, Yale, Penn, and Harvard, and then I believe that um, you know Brown and Yale end up in the finals. And you know I would love to see Brown win, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Yale win the Ivy. You know, tournament, and the hope is that that is the second of a of a three game series between them and Love C. Brown get them in the national championship. That would be great. But I got Brown and Yale coming out of here, and who knows between that game. Number two power conference in the country as it stands right now. Who do you got? For me, it's it's the Big East. Uh, you know, you've got Denver and Marquette as the two you know undefeated teams in conference. There, uh, you know, they play. I think they play this week. I believe. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Marquette beat Denver. Um, I really wouldn't, uh, you know, particularly if they're able to compete at the faceoff X because Marquette can hold you down, and I think you can score goals on Denver. Now, Denver has, you know, a super, super scary offense. They're probably the best shooting team in the country, uh, you know, with, with probably the best or one of the very best offensive coordinators and, and Browning. And then you've got Villanova, who's a really scary team. And then oddly... You're looking at Georgetown as the fourth team in the Big East tournament. You know, they beat PC head-to-head, and they have to beat St. John's, and they're going to beat St. John's. Right. And, and so Georgetown's going to end up getting a bid as a, you know, whatever, 3-10 and 10 record, which blows you away. But it reminds me of when we made the playoffs at 3-13 and 13 at the Boston Cantwins, and we edged <laughs> out the Bridgeport Garbage to be the fourth team in a four-team playoff out of a six-team league in MLL 2002. Get us while we're hot, RD. Uh, that's too rich. Uh, who is the third power conference in the country right now? I like the ACC here, and I think that uh, it's a huge game. With Notre Dame going to Chapel Hill this weekend. The winner of that game is going to get Syracuse in the first round of the ACC tournament. The loser gets Duke. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's more attractive, winning or losing, to be honest with you, those two teams, Duke or Syracuse. Both are scary. Um, but I said it last week. I think UNC beats Notre Dame this weekend, and I think UNC ends up as the number one seed, and they get a second chance second chance at Syracuse. And I think that they beat Syracuse. Um, so, I, I again, this is a dogfight, but... You would say that Notre Dame's the best team in the league, but I think I think UNC's going to end up winning the game on Saturday, and I think UNC ends up playing Notre Dame again in the ACC final. And my hope is that UNC wins the game, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Notre Dame get them when it counts most there. Number four, Power Conference. What do you got? Uh, I've got the Big Ten. You know, it looks like it is Maryland, uh, Rutgers, Hopkins, and PSU. And again, with the emergence of Rutgers playing as well as anybody this year, with already a win over Johns Hopkins and a close loss to Maryland, 11-8 after being after being after winning or being up 6-3, you know any team can come out of this. Penn State is scary too. Uh, you know, you real. This is a really. I have. I actually have no idea to quote quote Ty Zanders, and I usually don't quote him or Tiger Woods, um, <laughs> you know much. But but. <laughs> 
you know, if I had to pick, I think I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take JHU <laughs> at, out of that conference. I, wow. I, I I'm definitely I, I would have to. I'm going with Maryland in that conference. I just think they win every single time when they need to, and I can see them yeah. going to the Final Four weekend. That's for sure. Number five conference in the country right now. Who do you have? Uh, for me, it's the Patriot League. You know, in our Navy loyal and Army, uh, Lehigh and Bucknell, who actually play each other head to head this weekend, uh, and then BU. Um, so I think you've definitely got the best teams. Uh, actually, no, BU is not a lock. BU has to beat Holy Correct. Cross, so it's BU or Holy Cross. Uh, and you know, I think during the first six weeks of the season, we all would have said this is BU's. BU's probably going to win the division with the way that they played, beating Navy, et cetera, in the beginning. But they've cooled off a little bit lately. Holy Cross is coming after a huge win, 6-12, 12-6, as we said. At Colgate, I just, this is, BU is, they're, they're no lock to beat Holy Cross. I mean, the fact that Holy Cross has to get one win against a new program and they're coming off a good win against Colgate and have underachieved, lost a bunch of one-goal games all year long, and BU seems to be stumbling a little bit. This is they're going to be they're going to be in a fight. This is going to be this going to be a close game. Um, and Holy Cross uh, beat BU last year to ruin BU's hopes of entering the Patriot League. I was at that game. It was a very close one. Wow. And yep. uh, it looks like they're in the same situation this year. I misspoke. I actually thought BU had to run out. And I think that was based off on a lot of different results that happened um, over the last couple weeks. But I, I misspoke, and BU does still have a chance to make it to the Patriot League Championship, or excuse me, the tournament, uh, with a win over Holy Cross. But it should be. Well, this one's in. You know what? Season. Some people misspoke. We, we never declare that we're always going to be right, Ryan. We declare that we're always going to be loud. <laughs> and I think that we've done that. So, you know. Uh, that's true. Don't beat yourself that's up. That's true. Uh, number six conference in the country. Who do you got? It's starting to tighten up yep. here. Um, you know what? I'm going to take the Am East just on the strength of Albany, Stony Brook. I think Hartford's playing well. Um, you know, I, I could argue the CAA here. I could argue the SOCON here. Uh, even with St. Joe's and Bryan, I could at NEC. It's not going to be the MAC, but I'm going to I'm going to go with the Am East here. And uh, you know, you're looking at Albany, Stony Brook, and Hartford. I believe are in, and then you've got the winner of Curtis. Versus Binghamton, I really want to see Vermont win that game. I believe they will win that game, and then unfortunately they will draw Albany, uh, which will probably end their season. I hope it doesn't, but it probably will. So it's it's Albany, Stony Brook, Hartford, and Vermont, and I see uh, Albany and Stony Brook. Although I was shocked by their loss, I think they're going to be back, and I just think that Albany in the end is the team that comes out of this, and they also are a team that has a shot to get to the Final Four, particularly if they can compete at the X. They've got one of the very best goalies in Blair's Reard, Blair, Blaze Reardon, and you know, the face-off seems to be sort of the only Achilles. So depending upon who they draw, they could be a team that could also sneak into the Final Four. Well, that would leave, in my opinion, that would leave the CAA and the SOCON for the number seven best, te- best conference in the country. Uh, who mm-hmm. do you have in that number seven spot? You know what, when you think of conference overall top to bottom, I'll put the CAA here. I think that I think that Air Force and Richmond and Towson are the three best teams out of you know the two conferences combined. Uh, but if I have to pick one, I'm going to say the CAA will, will go next. Uh, and you're looking at, as of right now, Fairfield, Towson, Hofstra, and Delaware as the teams that appear to be in the tournament. And... 
it's just a tough conference to pick, but you got to believe that Towson's coming out of there. SoCon, that goes to SoCon for the number eight spot. What's the scoop with them? Yeah. Well, you've got uh, Air Force and Richmond are both undefeated in the conference, and I believe they play this weekend. That's going to be a huge game. Um, and then you've got High Point next, which is great for Torp and Pat. And then we're looking at one team out of Bellarmine, Mercer, and Furman. Um, so I, I, I think that those teams still play each other. I believe Bellarmine lost to Mercer or beat Mercer. I don't know. But if one of those two teams, or one of those teams are coming out of those three, and I don't think it's going to matter. Um, my hope is that High Point wins the, wins, wins the conference. But if I had to guess, I would guess it's going to come down to Air Force and Richmond. Although, with the injury to Richmond's stud player, that could open up the door for High Point. And, you know, but Air Force, is, the Air Force to this point, have proved that they are the best team in this conference. So, if I had to bet, it'd be Air Force. Um, but, as always, I, I hope it's High Point. That leaves two conferences left for the... I would say in your face, rock bottom conference overview rankings. Uh, <laughs> you've got uh, the Northeast conference and you've got the Mac. What do you have? I got uh, the Northeast conference, you know, St. Joe's is, has quietly put together an unbelievable year. Uh, Taylor race. He's done an awesome, he's done an awesome yeah. job. That guy, man. Yeah. Uh, and I believe after Bryant plays Hobart, I think Bryant's going to beat Hobart. So I think Bryant will go in at number two behind St. Joe's. And then I think Hobart number three, and then given, RMU's head-to-head win over Mount St. Mary's, I believe they end up with the fourth spot. Um, and I think you're going to see St. Joe's and Bryant playing in the finals again. And, you know, uh, I think it's going to be a dogfight. I mean, St. Joe's coming back to to beat Bryant may be a good thing for Bryant going into this game, but they both have some work to do to get there. But I think in the end, I think St. Joe's comes out of this. Wow. I think they beat him again. Wow. Yep. Uh, huge uh, for the local guys. We have a lot of uh, St. Joe's guys working on our staff for Big Four Triple H, uh, so it's good to see that you have that much confidence in them. Of course, uh, I'm, I'm biased, and I would love to see St. Joe's go, but I think that the face-off and, tri- uh, and goalie situation for Brian is a very powerful combo going into any You're right. tournament. Uh, but I do, I, I, you know, it, it's going to be a dogfight. I agree with that. Last conference, the MAC conference. Who comes out of here? Uh, well, it's Quinnipiac, Marist, Monmouth, and Detroit appear to be the teams in the driver's seat here. Um, you know, I know Marist just lost to Manhattan, and Kelleher got, you know, I-Y-F-C-O-W. <laughs> um, but I just, I think that Marist is the team that ends up coming out of this conference with the AQ when it's all said and done. I'd love to see my boy Feck get it, but I just don't, I just don't, I don't know. I mean, uh. I just I think Marist is the scariest team. Uh, I wouldn't sleep on Detroit's defense. Um, and I no? think that, all, and I know for a fact, Detroit Titans, all they care about is getting into their conference tournament, and that's when everything starts for them. Uh, I know that they could care less about any out-of-conference out of uh, game. And a large part of that is probably due to the fact that they, realistically, the only way they're going to get into any sort of national tournament is the AQ. So it makes a ton of sense. They ain't looking for at-larges. And I know a lot of the MAC teams probably think the same way, but don't sleep on Detroit's defense. They've got a very good defense, and it's a type of defense that could all of a sudden win games that you're probably not supposed to a lot of times um, in, in those scenarios, and certainly in their own conference tournament, they could be a powerhouse. When we come back, we've got hashtag ass towers. Hang in there tight. Maximize your comfort. Once upon a time, I was a 
Hashtag Ask Ours. It's not an easy one to do. Michael Gannon, again, back into the hashtag Ask Ours. I just saw G this weekend. Just saw him. <laughs> hey, in your face, ask AT about the Sunday morning 8 a.m. visit our veil team received from a family of Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> Oh, my God. I think they were actually Mormons, Mike. Uh, So in, like, 1991, we put together a roster that was loaded for the Veil. At that time, that was like the World Games, basically. That was better than the World Games because you had Team USA, you had Team Canada, and then you had Mount Washington, and you had MAB, and you had, uh, you know, uh, you had Brian, you had so many teams that were filled with people that got cut from the USA tryouts. You got the people that made the USA team, and then you've got the people that made the Canada right. team. And so we had gone out there for, you know, four or five years in a row, and we put together our best group to go out there. We wanted to win it. We had, we were loaded. We had Catrano, we had Doc and Goal, we had Ryan Wade, Greg Trainer, Matt Panetta, Timmy Goldstein, Steve Kiss. You know, our team was our team was stacked. And we go out there and we rent a house on the hill in Vale. And <laughs> <laughs> we ended up having a party and it went no, late. It no, went all, it, it went all it the didn't. way through, Ryan. It went all the way through. <laughs> till the birds. Till, till the, the birds. birds. Trippy, that's the worst. Yep. It went all the way out through the birds, and you heard them. <laughs> and lo and behold, there was a knock on the door, and it was it was two Mormon guys that were stopping in to spread the word <laughs> to our group. <laughs> and we invited them in, and I have a feeling. I don't know if they continued, you know, uh, with their mission uh, or if they ended up coming out to the bar and cracking, you know, a, their first beer of their life because it was, it was as misplaced a group as you could possibly. Clearly, they lost their way. I don't know who, who they must have asked Stephen Kisslinger for directions, and Steve told him go up on the house on the left. And uh, it was, it was a quite an exchange, to say the least. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, Forgot yeah. about that. Nice job, G. Can't believe you still have your memory that deep. Nice <laughs> so we're gonna go back to high school days, and your boy Joe Saletto. Uh, has got a lot of high school questions. So we're going to hear a lot about your high school. Real sleep ball. (laughs) You're going to hear a lot of high school questions. But the first one, certainly for this uh, this week, uh, why was Coach Benedict pissed at the team after junior prom? And what did he make you do on the sidelines of the game that day? Well, so... (laughs) (laughs) So Coach Benedict was our high school coach, legendary guy, you know, one of the one of the best coaches in high school across history. He was a very unique individual, <laughs> very calculated in the way that he managed the uh, mentality of each of his players, and he didn't treat us all the same. You know, he would pick out the guys that uh, he thought were uh, down on the farm, humble. You know, one of those guys was Joe, the question asker himself, Steve Luciano, you know, an all-time great attackman from Rutgers. Um, that basically took care of the humble people. <laughs> then we had uh the arrogant group uh and uh i was in that group and so coach benedict would key on me he keyed on uh, kevin erics who uh, was absolutely in that group uh and so anything that he could do to keep us you know knocked down and 
essentially, you know, knock the silver spoon out of our mouths was, you know, uh, number one goal for him. You know, he, he was not afraid to say, you know, that's the problem with everybody in this town. They all shit ice cream, which I thought was <laughs> neat. Um, and so during that, that wasn't an exact quote, game, right? That wasn't that was that, that was an exact quote, yeah, exact exact quote. Um, but it's, it's genius, and he was genius in how he drew it out of us. And so what he what he did to me, unfortunately, was I came off the field, and what what really happened was Reed Campbell slashed this kid on the head. I got called for it for random two minutes in 1986. Never heard of that in my life. <laughs> and I came off the field, and Coach Benedict again made me run 17 sprints, 17. <laughs> On the sideline during the game. And 17, I don't know why he did it. Maybe it was because it was my age. But after my 17th, my, my line was up now, and I had to go right onto the field. And I ran out in the field and, you know, didn't get a ground ball or something and came off because I was dead tired because I just ran 17 <laughs> sprints. And I ran off, and Coach Benedict said, you're no athlete. Tower. You're no athlete, Towers. You're no athlete. Yeah, because I missed the ground ball after running 17 sprints in the sidelines <laughs> for a penalty that I didn't commit. Reed Campbell did. Thanks for the question, Joe. Pack a lot of friend into one guy. Hope your fantasy golfer mix the, misses the cut oh, this week. Oh, man. <laughs> Ah, that is too rich. That's all we have for the show today. <laughs> if only you guys know that, one, I don't prep Andy with these questions. There have been multiple questions that I've asked him. We've had to cut them out of the podcast uh, for various reasons. Uh, but for him to <laughs> water down. For the broadcast. <laughs> broadcast. <laughs> so we've had to, uh, for him to watch him. I'm also on FaceTime right now. I have to watch him. Watered down the story to get through the answer for hashtag Ask Towers is also a gem. Uh, but that's all we have today. As always, subscribe to us on iTunes. Check us out on Twitter at InYourFaceLax. Uh, thank you again to all our listeners, uh, both in this country and out of this country. We'll be back later this week uh, with our picks for the week. And we also have a special guest coming up, Christian Sweezy the Washington Post and also Inside the Cross will be coming on board talking some hot yes. topics. So we'll be yes, we'll be yes. back. But until then, maximizing comfort. Thanks again for the listen. Thank him for weakness. Now I'm four, five,